Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. I'm the abusing founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening to the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel and podcast here on December 7th, Wednesday, New Comic Book Day. We're going to talk about some of the new comics that came out today. Some spoilers may follow. If you haven't read today's comics, I recommend you go and do so. Get in your questions. Get in your thoughts. Uh, we had a couple weeks off. After the, the I had the, the Karen Gillan live stream interview here on the CBH channel. That went great. Thanks, everybody, who was able to make it live and who has listened since. It's a really good one. Um, I, think it, I think it went quite well. Uh, but since then, have not had a single live stream. We had the holidays and then basically no comics. Uh, today was stacked. Stacked, especially in the back. There was so, so many comics today. So, so many comics today. Approximately 74,000 X-Men comics uh, or related stories that we can talk about. Get in your thoughts here in the comments. If you're here with us live, thanks for joining. Uh, I will answer as many questions as I can. As always, Super Chat is open and available. And thanks if you feel like contributing. Uh, I will prioritize those questions, of course. Okay, so I've grabbed a couple questions here from early in the comments. Otherwise, we're going to have to divert in because, again, there's 8 billion comics to talk about today. We got a mortal, we got a new issue, the two best comics. Right, the two best X-Men series, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, they're both coming out today. So we got a double dose of Gillen, Ewing, Immortal X-Men 9, and X-Men Red number 9. Then we also had new issues of X-Force, Marauders, New Mutants. Uh, and then Dark Web launches today, which is ostensibly like a Spider-Man event, but it's a Spider-Man, X-Men, Venom crossover with huge, huge X-Men components, right? And classic Inferno vibes. So we have to talk about that a little bit. Got to talk about that a little bit as well. What's going on with Madeline Pryor? What's gonna? How's that going to involve the X-Men? What's that going to mean for Krakoa? Um, and then, of course, just the Spider-Man side of things as well, all flowing out of the Zeb Wells run. So get in your thoughts. Get in your questions. I will address as many as I can as I talk. But right now, we got to start with the questions. Now, again, spoilers will follow. Okay? Anticipate that. Expect that. Go read the comments. Come back and listen once you have... Um, let's start here with, let's start with X-Men Red. Let's start with X-Men Red today, okay? X-Men Red number nine, written by Yael Ewing. We got, I think, Stefano Caselli back on art, even though I didn't write that down. Uh, this is follow-up to everything that happened in Judgment Day, uh, to everything that's been going on with Abigail Brand schemes, as she is revealed to be sort of the grandmaster strategizing for unleashing Emperor Vulcan, unleashing Gabriel Summers, the third Summer Brothers, in his most uh, vicious, powerful Emperor Vulcan state, the one who thinks he is the rightful heir to the Shi'ar Empire and Throne. Um, she's unleashing that Vulcan in an effort to create galactic war, essentially. That puts her and, and her version of S.W.O.R.D. and sort of the soul system on top and in control of the galaxy. She's doing a on a macro level, what Beast has been doing on the micro level of Krakoan Earth, Abigail Brand is saying, basically, we have to do this terrible thing in order to protect as many people as possible. It's a very sort of utilitarian approach, but with clear, clear dark sinister shades of, of just not really worrying about, you know, the cost, of course, of, of all of the plan there. But So that's going on. That's going on. Um, and, and we got Brand with this huge scheme. And then what X-Men Red number nine does today is basically say, okay, who else 
is scheming? Who else has plans in this world? Because you need to have an anti-brand. You need to have an anti-Abigail brand. Um, someone kind of opposing her, because guess what? It's not Professor X. Professor X, as the leader of Krakoa, now having lost Magneto, right, who died in the in the events of Judgment Day, Professor X is the figurehead of the Krakoa nation, barely in control of the Quiet Council. I mean, not, he's just straight up not actually in control of the Quiet Council, even though he has presence there, and being manipulated pretty openly here by Abigail Brand, right? She is manipulating Professor X into thinking, oh, you could just resurrect uh, Vulcan. You know, we need moral mega levels since we lost Magneto. We need that power ability, um, even though there were worries, there were concerns that clearly Vulcan was not in the right headspace. Professor X, of course, in his hubris, in his arrogance, basically tells us here, well, what if I, you know, I, I would never mess with someone's mind. I would never, but, you know, but, like, if we think about it, given the circumstances, what if we added some calming techniques <laughs> to Vulcan's mind? He says, I know this This will work. I'm confident. Professor X is confident. Of course it goes badly. Of course it goes badly. Um, so manipulated pretty pretty easily by good old Abby Brand. Uh, Al Ewing dropped the mic in this issue so many times that there's just, like, he needs to buy a replacement mic. Absolutely needs to buy a replacement mic. There's no way that mic is going to work again. I'm sorry. Dropped it too many times to get any functional use out of that microphone again. We had a Vulcan reveal. We had a Sunspot reveal. We had a Storm reveal. Nobody writes a better... Like, all, like each one of those in and of themselves could have been the end of the comic. And you've been like, oh, what a great ending. i got to read next issue. There's three of them. <laughs> There's three of them here. They all kill. Nobody writes a better page turn and splash page one-liners than Al Ewing right now. I think it's a technique that he perfected on Immortal Hulk. And here, again, we see it just like, just flexing. I mean, needlessly flexing. <laughs> Three separate times in X-Men Red. Uh, it was super, super cool. It was super cool. Well-paced issue, of course. Looked great. Uh, the reveals that were surprising. So, like, okay, we know Brand's playing everyone. We know part of her plan here is basically... To cause Shi'ar civil war and unrest in the galaxy, she's going to unleash Emperor Vulcan. She has planned this for quite some time, okay? So we know that part's coming. So it's no surprise that Vulcan comes out of his egg, that he's got tremendous powers, that he is just rearing to go, right? That he is hot and omega level, and uh, he's going straight to the Shi'ar to kill as many leaders as he can and take back his throne. You know, he's there to kill Gladiator. He's there to kill Xandra, the sort of daughter of Professor X on the Shi'ar throne right now. And that part's not surprising, okay? The surprise, of course, is that at the end of Vulcan's seeming massacre of basically everyone in attendance, which includes Nova, which includes Gladiator, which includes his former uh, romantic interest, Deathbird, it's all revealed to have been part of a trick, essentially. It was a, they were using image inducers, at least some of them. Actually, maybe some maybe some people got it. I'm not 100% on that one. Um, but Vulcan, you know, the last thing he does is he appears to roast Empress Xandra, and it's revealed through the flames there's still a body there. I was like, oh, does Xandra have some protection here? You know, maybe she's got some powers we haven't learned about before. No, it's just Bobby. <laughs> it's just Sunspot saying, hey, BT dubs. I'm planning to. I'm scheming as well. Great Sunspot reveal. I mean, you need an anti-brand schemer, 
like I said. And that's how Al Ewing loves to use Roberto, longtime New Mutant, and and now a major player in X-Men Red. This is something Ewing's been doing since way back in his run on New Avengers, about six years ago now. Um, Roberto has a oversized, very strategic role in that comic. It's super fun to see that get brought here, uh, get brought back here as well. I mean, Roberto Costa is a really fascinating character in the Marvel Universe. I mean, I think it's it's something that Jonathan Hickman leaned into. It's clearly a character he loves in his Avengers and New Avengers run in the Build the Secret Wars, where all of a sudden you had Bobby, you know, seemingly just this kind of like oddball in the Avengers landscape, right? Him and Sam are kind of like, oh, really them as the Avengers? Like what a what a strange choice, you know, here amongst Captain America and Spider-Man and Iron Man, et cetera. Um, except then you have Bobby gone to become like the third player, right? You have like two sides, you know, you have the Avengers and then you have the Illuminati, but then you have Bobby as the super important third player uh, after he buys AIM, <laughs> actually, advanced idea mechanics. Um, so this is somebody who's had a really strategic, really important role, actually, in Marvel Universe shenanigans, basically by, um, you know, for the past decade, effectively. And it's something that Ewing has been doing for the latter half of the decade, and now, of course, continuing into the 2020s, really leaning into it. And it's great. It's great. We got a reveal earlier this year that Sunspot was secretly on the Midnight Council of Araco, which is just like, what? How? <laughs> How did that ever happen? And now here he is saying, fortunately, I rule. And, and tricking Vulcan, tricking Abigail Brand, throwing a wrench into all of these plants. It's great. X-Men Red continues to be just this brilliant X-Men cosmic book that that is so needed in this lineup, that is so needed in this era. And again, it's it's like an impossible 1A versus 1B decision, frankly, between Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red. It is not any easier today. Like on weeks when they come out at the... Because usually it's like, okay, just X-Men Red came out today. I'd be like, yep, best book. When they both come out, it is like, well, no, like they're both incredible. <laughs> like I really... I prefer probably like if I if I have to pick, I prefer prefer Immortal X-Men's ambitions and kind of structural ambitions maybe more than anything. Um, it is, you know, just the, the sort of formalism of what Gillen is doing in terms of, okay, each of the 12 issues are a different POV. And, you know, like today's issue is, well, we're going to get into it obviously, but like, okay, it's Sinister trying to murder the Quiet Council and all the different ways he's doing that using Moira's. And it just creates these really interesting ways you can utilize 22 or 24 pages or whatever it is in a comic, right? Um, X-Men Red is not doing that which isn't to say there aren't structural techniques. Like I said at the beginning of this, just celebrating Ewing's use of the splash page and the page turn. I mean, good grief, it's incredible. Um, but it's more classically in the vein of Claremontian ongoing interweaving soap, except more cosmic, more political, um, and, you know, more of the time. <laughs> more of the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're like, Hey, which issue is better? Like, it doesn't matter. It's, we have two dueling aces. You don't have to pick between Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. You can just ride them all the way to a world series, baby. And nothing could possibly get in the way of that. Certainly, certainly not a guy wearing headphones, listening to the game on the radio, sitting by Moises Alu. Certainly not that. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so like, yeah, that's not, that's not a ton to say necessarily about X-Men Red and obviously the most boring 
you know, least compelling criticism is just like, oh, yeah, still good. <laughs> but it's more than that. I mean, it really is. Like, it is a, it is a dense sort of cosmic political thriller. And I love every moment of it. I'm super curious to see, because this book's going to get pulled into Sins of Sinister, right? It's going to get pulled into Sins of Sinister, and it's going to become Storm of the Brotherhood, which will be interesting. I'm super excited about all that. But it'll be interesting to see how X-Men Red kind of bounces back out of that. You know, like, is Ewing going to try and kind of need to resolve these schemes in a way before Sins of Sinister? doesn't seem like it. You know, so then, okay, are we just going back to them? Like, is it just going to continue? I mean, at some point, it, it's all building to a really interesting endpoint, I think. Um, but it does feel like, okay, we're kind of in maybe the end game with the reveal of Sunspot of Brand v. Sunspot um, v. sort of just their relationship with Krakoa uh, and just sort of the full cosmic side of thing. I don't know. I don't know, like what, the, like the future of this book feels like. It's probably not X Men Red. It's probably like a, I mean, ironically, it's more of like a Guardians type book. But obviously, we already did that, and that's not what we're going to. I don't think. You know what I mean, though? Like, I, it's hard to imagine in X Men Red number seventeen, where we're still doing Sunspot and Brand scheming against one another with sort of these cosmic pawns at their whims. Um, not that that sounds super unappealing, because it doesn't actually. I just feel like things are going to be escalating here in 2023 with the fall of X and all that stuff. And it's kind of hard to imagine them playing their games in space and not getting sucked into that. You know, I, I feel like there's, I would not be surprised if this book ended sooner than later and then kind of did the thing that has happened, I don't know, purposefully or not throughout Al Ewing's career, which is like, well, and there's a weird 10 issues. <laughs> now we're on to the next series, you know? Um, instead of just actually maintaining a thing, right? Like, aside from Immortal Hulk, Al Ewing's Marvel tapestry is, like, all these 12-issue, you know, just, like, a gazillion of them across various titles. Um, but it's not not necessarily, like, one solid thing that you can just binge. So, okay. But the fact that it's moving at this pace, I mean, like, this is great, right? This, is, this was complaint number one, whether mine or, or otherwise throughout the reign of X was, like, wow, we are stagnating. And then Jonathan Hickman came out in interviews and said, yeah, we were punting the football. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it felt like it. Yeah, good to hear, because that's how it felt. Um, that is not what's happening at all in the Destiny of X. Like, not at all. Like, story is getting used. Story capital is getting burnt through. Writers are going places. We are doing things with this concept. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. The Destiny of X is very good. It is. It does not have, I mean, it's the same thing I've said a million times. It does not have the promise and sort of the hope of that initial fervor post-House and Powers. Uh, but I would say quality-wise and just sort of consistency-wise and and pacing in terms of moving through story capital, I, I think Destiny of X is the best of the three waves, Dawn of X, Reign of X, and Destiny of X. I do. I think it has the actual best comics right now. Um, so, you know, it's it's doing work. Gillen and Ewing are definitely responsible for that. I am in the interview with Gillen that I did. I believe his answer regarding the end of Immortal X Men was like, "No, I still have plans beyond Sins of Sinister." Like, like I'm. I don't want to paraphrase this and get it wrong, but it, it it wasn't like, "Oh, I'm doing this and then I'm done." You know, it was definitely like, "No, there are plans," which is great, right? That's good because the longer Gillen and Ewing, I think, are a part of this X office, the 
the more confident I feel that we're going to continue to get really good comics of this nature. But again, more importantly, even than that, frankly, is that they're going to be moving through what Hickman set up, what House and Power suggested we could be getting, right? In the pages of Mortal X-Men, we're getting the full Sinister, (laughs) right? We're getting the whole, hey, there's some cool Mr. Sinister mysteries in this era. We're getting that, okay? In X-Men Red, Hickman set up some weird, wild Vulcan mysteries (laughs) in the pages of his X-Men run. Al Ewing's doing it. Here it is, fully on display, right? So it's moving. It's moving. It's good. Uh, Okay, let's talk about Immortal X-Men, because that's definitely the the other biggest issue um keep keep the comments coming keep the questions coming i will get to as many as i can uh all right let's see here james asked in the super chat i have to have your thoughts on professor x in the aoa in the pages of x-men unlimited uh what are we what are we talking about here james (laughs) we talking about the age of apocalypse uh like 1995 age of apocalypse is this something else um is this uh are you talking about the the marvel unlimited X-Men Unlimited comics? I have not read the most recent uh, Marvel Unlimited Infinite Scroll stuff. I read the Marvel Voices, um, the Family Snick stuff that just came out, written by Stephanie Williams. Super fun, super charming. I think a lot of people have been like, hey, there's so many Wolverines right now. Let's do a Family Snick comic. They're doing it. That's great. Um, But I have not been keeping up with Marvel Unlimited Infinity. Honestly, all of my phone time all of my phone screen time right now is completely dedicated to Marvel Snap. <laughs> I have been I have been so wholly sucked up into Marvel Snapping. If you're not playing this app, listen, I prior to playing Marvel Snap, my feedback was uh, I don't really like card games on phones. <laughs> I'll sit down and happily play uh, some Hold'em with you. I will I will enjoy a nice hand of euchre. All that stuff sounds great. Um, but I don't, I don't know, card games on phones didn't appeal to me. Marvel Snap is a blast. I love it. I'm addicted. Uh, you probably, listen, if you want to snap, if you want to talk snap at the end of this, we can, we can just go snap all day. <laughs> it, it is consuming my life. Uh, you will know if you're playing me. You will know if you're playing me on there because my, my username is, of course, Comic Book Herald. Um, and yes, I'm seeing now, I'm looking at my phone actually. Okay, so we got an AOA story going on in the Marvel Unlimited Infinity. All right, I'm checking that out. I am checking that out. Thanks for uh, tuning me into it because I definitely need to read that one. I will address that question once I catch up. But again, if I'm snapping, I don't know when that might be. I truly do not know when I could have time. <laughs> okay, let's see. Marcus has a question here. Hey, Dave, I know it's clouded a mystery, but what's your guess on Destiny's Endgame? Since she seems to have sinister acting according to her interests, even with the Moira clones resetting things. Uh, so that's that brings us here into Immortal X-Men, where Mr. Sinister, we knew from the teasers into this, if you watched my Road to Sins of Sinister video, I went through all of the teasers that were way back in Immortal X-Men number one. The setup for issue number nine was, you know, hey, people in the Quiet Council are going to die. That was not a secret, <laughs> right? We knew this was going to happen. Um the surprise, or I guess not even the surprise, but the the enjoyment stems from watching it, the the situation just play out, right? And seeing Sinister, like, okay, he knows he wants to kill them, but it's really hard to do. <laughs> and it's really flipping hard to do because Destiny knows what he's going to do before he comes in there and does it, right? And then he has to figure out, okay, 
well, then who can I take out first power-wise to take out all 12 of them? I'm just one guy, regardless of how many cool battle suits and cable-sized gun he brings to the table. So we get Mr. Sinister using a clone of Moira, which has 10 reset lives available, you know, basically video gaming, literally 10 save points, to try to win one of the 10 Sinister v. the entire Quiet Council. In the first nine, he gets demolished, essentially. Right? The first nine, he gets whooped. And and then on uh, level 10, <laughs> basically, he comes in and he just goes goes ham. I mean, just everything he's got. He's bringing in the winged Cyclops eyeballs. He's bringing in Gambit jeans. He's got uh, Unum, the untouchable bullets. You know, he's just he's slicing and splicing mutant DNA, trying to take out the entire Quiet Council, takes out all the psychics first. Uh, it is great. <laughs> it is so good. Uh, and it, it is, it's, I think one thing Gillen's doing really well here, there's quite a few, but one in particular is Mr. Sinister has all of these schemes and he has all of these weapons, right? He's got Moira's. He can just live it again and try it again, but he still has limitations and he's still struggling. Mr. Sinister is not that in control, right? Like, listen, we're going to go to Sins of Sinister, okay? And he's going to get everything he wants. And, like, the, he's he's going to win, quote-unquote. But Sinister's win, it's going to be short-lived, and it's going to be fraught, and it's going to be flawed. Who is ultimately pulling the strings, you know? Who is ultimately benefiting from these types of things? I think in particular, I think in particular, it's going to be Destiny, right? So to your question... Here, I think Destiny is definitely pulling Mr. Sinister's strings. Um, she knows, because Destiny's thing, she keeps repeating throughout these issues, is like, all right, Sinister, work with us. Like, like we, we, this will go better for all of us if we're on the same side. Except here's the thing, Destiny's not dumb, right? Destiny's incredibly savvy, incredibly smart. She knows in no world will Nathaniel Essex go for that. He's not a team player. That's the whole point, right? That's what they're trying to do. That's that's the the Faustian bargain Professor X and Magneto are attempting here with Krakoa against Moira's better wishes, bringing Mr. Sinister into the game in the first place. You know, bringing him in in the first place by saying like, okay, we'll give you a chance, be a team player. Everyone knows he's not. It's only a matter of time before he does what he does today in this issue, which is go full supervillain to kill the entire Quiet Council and enact his own schemes, right? Everyone knows this. Destiny has to know this as well. Her powers are still functional, regardless of the limitations she may be facing. So she knows Sinister's not going to work with them. Well, then why does she keep suggesting it? Why does she keep recommending it? She knows it's not going to happen. She's consistently needling him, I think is what's happening. She's playing Sinister, right? When she walks away in Immortal X-Men number nine today, after Sinister you know, kind of kind of bears his soul in a way or whatever's left of it by saying, you know, I was really bummed the uh, the Celestial didn't judge me <laughs> in Judgment Day. Like, it really upset him. Um, Destiny needles him as she's walking away by saying, oh, maybe he judged Dr. Stasis instead. Dr. Stasis is, as revealed in the Duggan X-Men run, a clone of Mr. Sinister, right? What I'm assuming to be, this is the, what is what is Stasis? The Sinister of Clubs, right? We know there's there's a card based, a deck of cards based, you know, suits of Sinisters now. We've seen the diamond, of course, is the famous one. Uh, Cyclops reveals Dr. Stasis is the Sinister of Clubs, or one of the other ones. Um, 
But now there's this other clone out there. Mr. It really upsets Mr. Sinister, right? Because it's there's a gazillion clones of Sinister. This narcissist loves having an infinite array of clones, but is also extremely bothered by the idea that there might be a better, more important <laughs> clone that he doesn't have knowledge of, right? That he actually isn't in control of. You know, that's destiny just, just poking the needle, right? Just poking the bear. And knowing that in doing that, it's probably going to drive him to do something, to take action and do something crazy and against his better judgment. So, like, it's hard to know exactly how much Destiny knows at this point. I mean, it's a little confusing because in the Destiny issue in Immortal X-Men number three, she's like, okay, I've cracked that Sinister is plotting something and I think he can reset the timelines again. And she's like, all right, well, I have to just keep him from doing that so I can remember this. Well, that hasn't happened, right? Sinister's reset the timeline a lot. He does it 10 times in this issue, you know? So there's some mystery right now. There's some shrouded doubt in terms of like, well, is Destiny, is she just coming to this epiphany every timeline, you know, right? There's the same sort of, because the events occur in a similar manner, does she come to the same epiphany every timeline or is, does she not know in some of them? But I, I, my read on it is the answer is probably yes there. I think we assume Destiny knows the same things we we saw her learn in Immortal X-Men number three. And then I think what that builds to is Destiny's more or less in control of Sinister or at least egging him on and pulling his strings and trying to move Sinister in directions that will ultimately benefit whatever her goals are. Because her goals are mysterious as well, right? Like Sinister's goals actually aren't that mysterious, right? It was sort of just the the means by which he would attempt to achieve them. But what Sinister wants is a world in which everything is Sinister and he's in control and he has the most power, right? Classic supervillain stuff, you know, in a lot of ways. Destiny is, is a little more complex, you know, definitely more nuanced. I mean, I think probably the biggest thing for Destiny is how do I get to a future where Mystique doesn't die. Because in all the futures she saw, Mystique actually doesn't make it, right? So in some way, I, I don't doubt maybe there's some sincerity in Destiny thinking like, hey, maybe the only version where Mystique survives is when it's not Sinister versus Destiny, but it's Sinister and Destiny together. Um, but right now, obviously, that seems incredibly unlikely. It seems incredibly unlikely. So that was a long answer, uh, but hopefully it, it addresses you know, some of what you're getting at there. I think it's an important question. Another question that that popped into my head, okay, and I would say it's probably the most important thing in this issue, actually, in Immortal X-Men number nine. So we got Sinister's murder plot of the Quiet Council, right? And he's rating the prioritization and the, the order of operations on all the different Quiet Council members. Notice who's not there. Notice who's not there. It's members 13 and 14 of the Quiet Council, Doug and Krakoa. Not mentioned, not present, not accounted for, really, in any capacity, okay? Kind of just not around. That is notable. That does not feel like an accident, <laughs> if you ask me. It kind of makes me wonder, too, if Sinister, like, almost wants the pit, right? Like, does he almost want to get thrown into the pit and then scheme with Krakoa on his side? You know, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder, because not accounting for Doug and Krakoa is kind of the ultimate undoing of, or at least it can be. I mean, in some ways, it's the undoing of Moira. A lot of things are there. But, you know, it's a player they're not expecting. It's a player they're not expecting. Um, I, It's possible Sinister's overlooked that, but it, 
kind of feels more likely to me that it's, it is a intentional, notable omission for great purpose, was my thought there. You know, to not have them around at all feels like, oh, okay, that's going to matter. That's going to matter. Now, I think the immortal, the teaser for Immortal X-Men number 10, if I remember correctly, was basically, finally, somebody deserving gets thrown into the pit. Well, where we leave off here, at the end of Immortal X-Men number 9, is half the Quiet Council has been killed or, or um, I mean, I think killed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of another word. Uh, for, for taking off the table, but, you know, I'm pretty sure it kills them. Uh, there's six left, you know, kind of led by Kitty here in terms of like, all right, we need to go find Sinister and throw him in the pit. Who who else could it be that would be getting thrown in the pit? You know what I mean? Like, next issue, like, is it the six mutants who survive actually capturing Sinister and tossing him in the pit? Is that what he wanted all along? Was to not actually, like, it doesn't matter to him if he actually kills Everyone on the Quiet Council, he just had to take out certain individuals? Or did his plan go wrong? Because we kind of know it didn't because Sins of Sinister is coming, right? Like, he didn't fail in whatever he's trying to do, or at least he's not going to, because we are going to get to Sins of Sinister. Nobody else is going to set that up, you know? <laughs> so I'm curious. I feel like the next issue could easily be Sinister interacting with Doug and Krakoa. I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, because that's, that's a piece of the puzzle that really has not been accounted for yet. And it could help us get to, you know, kind of what the biggest question right now in terms of the mechanics of everything, which is, okay, how does Sinister actually win? Like, what does this actually look like? Cause imagine, imagine he kills all everybody on the quiet council. Like he's ostensibly trying to do here. Right. Well, then what? Then what? All of mutant dumb is going to be like, oh, Sinister is the only one left. Okay. He's our king now. <laughs> that's not happening. Right. And if that doesn't happen, what kind of power does he have? He'll have taken over Krakoa, but an empty kingdom? You know? So, uh, yes, there has to be more to it. There has to be more of a spin. Um, I'm sure we'll see it next issue. I was kind of hoping here in this issue that... So this is like... It's the Kate Pride narrated issue. Each character gets a POV issue. Um, each member of the Quiet Council. I was hoping Kate might kind of have more, more of a role, frankly. Um, I liked her narration. I think that, you know, it wasn't like it was off character, but it was more like because it was her issue and it was simultaneously this sinister tries to murder everyone experiment, I was hoping Kate might be able to crack the case. Like somehow her difficulties with resurrection or something might have allowed her to maintain some memory of what Sinister was doing, because she keeps repeating the line, like, this is weird, something's up, right? Why would Sinister be doing these things? But she never actually seems to be accumulating data because the timeline keeps getting reset, which like makes sense in terms of how they were doing it. I was just hoping because it was her issue that Kate might actually have sort of a secret track to this. You know, like I'm here for the sinister of it all. I mean, ultimately that's what this story is and that's what I most wanted from Gillen. It's happening, right? So I'm super here for that. Uh, but it's because it's the Kate issue, I was kind of like, well, is there more we could do here with Kate? Um, doesn't seem to be the case. Doesn't seem to be the case here. But you know what? That's fine. That's fine. So we got big things coming. Both Mortal X-Men and X-Men Red continue to kill it. Uh, they do not disappoint really ever. Um, you know, there, there's no reason to doubt them <laughs> at this point in time. And any week you're going to get both those those comics on the same week. It's a good week of X-Men comics. It's going to be a good week of X-Men comics. All right. Getting your questions. Getting your thoughts. All that good stuff before we move on here. Maybe we'll talk. Let's see. Maybe we'll talk a little 
Yeah, we'll do X-Force next. I was going to say Dark Web. We'll probably do X-Force, then Dark Web, then maybe a little Captain Marvel. I don't have a heck of a lot to say on Marauders uh, or New Mutants. I think both those books continue to to do what they have done and, and do it. You know, if you've been enjoying it, you're going to continue enjoying it. Uh, a lot of great queer representation in the pages of New Mutants, which is super exciting to see. Um, it's a story that, you know, has not been for me, but I'm, I'm excited to see the X office continuing to move in that direction. Uh, Marauders is, man, Marauders is like, Marauders and Legion of X are the two where I'm like, okay, like in a certain light, I could get really into these books, but as it stands, as I've been doing it on the week by week grind, they're not connecting for me. You know, books that might do way better on a reread, as I think basically everything does, frankly, um, but like a difference between I don't like this versus I oh, know it's actually pretty good. You know, that's where I'm at with, with Marauders. Um, all right. So give me questions. Give me thoughts. BRB. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. Ace says, Dave, Sinister only wanted to kill Hope and survive. Uh, I think just initially, I didn't read that to be like, the only thing he wanted to do. Which does also raise the question then too, like Sinister, you know, he was like, I have to get hope on the council. But then why? <laughs> why if then ultimately you're going to have to kill her first in order to make it through this gambit, uh, you know, the, this gauntlet you put yourself in. Um, yeah, all right, fine. Here's Let's answer the Marauders question. I was wondering if you could explain to us what has been going on in Marauders. Story sounds insane. Giving a wild origin to Sublime. And, uh, yeah, spoilers, there's a strife twist today. But what is going on? <laughs> Again, I'm not keeping up with this book closely. This is a skim for me. Um, I mean, it sounds like the most Steve Orlando book possible where you have Grant Morrison concepts and 90s relics <laughs> being resurrected. Um Listen, if somebody says you got to read Marauders or or if it pulls a Legion of X and it's like, hey, this character that's been introduced is actually super important to the connective tissue of the X-Men, you know, I'll dive back in. But uh, but in the meantime, no, I'm not. I'm not super caught up, so I cannot explain that very well. I promise I can't explain that very well. All I can say there is, you know, if you want to know what's up with Sublime, read your Grant Morrison new X-Men. We're just reading that right now, actually as part of the Mime Roll this year reading club. So you can check that out if you want to hang with us and hear about Morrison quietly on new X-Men, which boy, does that hold up? Boy, does that hold up? Great X-Men books, man. It was amazing. I was, I was reading through Graham Morrison's manifesto that he, or that they wrote before taking over new X-Men. And it is so prescient and it is also clearly so influential on what Hickman ultimately went on to do with House and Powers. It's like stuff that I, like you knew Morrison was a major influence. Obviously there's a ton of their work just in the pages of House and Powers and just the stuff they reference and you know, the No More and Cassandra Nova doing the, the genocide and all that stuff, right? Obviously that's like X-Men continuity that's getting pulled in. Uh, but just like the, the approach to X-Men comics, Morrison's worldview on all that, so, so influential. So, so influential. If you haven't read New X-Men, definitely, definitely worth it. Um, okay. Let's see. I see her from James. I was devastated to have the Dark Beast theory ruled out. Okay, let's talk about that. So technically, technically in Immortal X-Men today, uh, it's revealed that Mr. Sinister also has Dark Beast imprisoned, or at least a clone of him, because again, Sinister. 
we also see in the pages of X-Force that, of course, Beast himself at this point is, like, actively uh, more or at least just as evil as Mr. Sinister, <laughs> right? Like, there is no separation right now between the ends justify the means Beast versus the worst villains in, in mutant history. <laughs> like, like, just it gets worse and worse and worse all the time with, of course, very, very real and and uh, not understated, <laughs> ham-fisted, I suppose, you know, sort of political realities, right? And, and modern parallels. Um, but yeah, like the beast that we're seeing in the pages of these comics is the worst force on Krakoa, you know, the worst mutant force on Krakoa in the name of, you know, his mutant CIA and sort of the vision for that. Uh, it turns out, the, the suggestion here at least is, that's just beast, that's not dark beast. <laughs> okay? Dark Beast is in a sinister vat. He's just mad. He's yelling about stuff. Okay? That's the real Beast, which is what I've been saying. I mean, I, didn't, I think a Dark Beast cop-out, you know, seemed incredibly unlikely. Um, this is the trajectory Beast has been on this decade. One of the first things I talked about in Cracking Krakoa, you know, this is the trajectory Beast has been on, and it's just going to escalate and escalate and escalate to the point that he has an off-books prison between Earth and Mars. Because of course. Because of course he does. Okay. Um, so yeah. Probably not Dark Beast. <laughs> probably. Probably not. All right. Let's see. Uh, JJ asks, since Axe is over, was there any eternal book announcement for 2023? Uh, no, I haven't seen anything. Um, the Eternals are in some kind of limbo. I mean, it definitely sounds like it, it wouldn't be Gillen returning to it. So I can't imagine they leave him off the table forever. Um, but no, I mean, the Eternals seem to be frozen, which, which what a journey, <laughs> what a journey for the Eternals, right? Kind of the, the forgotten franchise, but there's an MCU movie coming. So, okay, let's resurrect them with Kieran Gillen and Isada Ribich. Oh, wait, they're doing one of the best Marvel series of the past two years. Okay, let's give them a full-on Marvel Comics big old summer event. And then just like, all right, you had your time. <laughs> you had your fun. We'll hear from you again next time a movie's announced. Which, who knows, right, with that one. Who knows when that baby's coming. Um, okay. Baku Blade asked an interesting question here, which is, wouldn't Sinister make Sinister clones of the Quiet Council and rule Krakoa that way. That would actually be pretty smart. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any reason why that couldn't work, aside from, you know, sort of the Madeline Pryor of it all, where once that clone gains agency, you know, they're going to come for you. They're going to come for you, MR Sinister. Okay. What were we going to talk about next? X-Force, we just talked about it. Beast, actively evil. Beast is the worst. Um, this run is not, like you know, super important to me at this point. I don't keep up. It's a skim for me. But uh, the development of Beast is, you know, I'm I'm interested, at least. to just to, It is one of those things, too, where it's now like you are thoroughly into a corner with who Beast is and what this vision is. Where do you go from here? What do you do with this? You know, because it has been slowly, slowly, slowly escalating for three years now. I mean, this issue ends with Beast in cuffs, as taken in by Domino and Omega Red. <laughs> so, like, we'll see if that leads to anything. You know, I'm not... I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Okay? Let's talk about Dark Web. 
Uh, Dark Web is a mini-event. It's a crossover between X-Men, Spider-Man, and Venom. It launched today with, uh, well, technically there's prelude stuff previously. Basically, it is, it's an extension of Zeb Wells' Amazing Spider-Man run. If you've been reading since Spider-Man Beyond and with the more recent Amazing Spider-Man run with John Romita uh, Jr., uh, this is an extension of everything that happened there with Ben Riley and his girlfriend, fiance maybe, Janine, um, now known as Hallow's Eve, apparently. The crossover, the X-Men side of things, is... So Ben has become the dark, wants revenge clone, as happens about once a decade. <laughs> okay, we've been here before with good old Ben Riley. Uh, he connects with the other world's, you know, sort of loneliest, most badly wants revenge clone, Madeline Pryor, who has taken over Limbo. Uh, or not even taken over, was handed the reins to Limbo at the end of Vidayala, um, uh New Mutants run, right? So Magic, Ileana, she trusted Madeline Pryor by the end of that run, you know, well enough to say, okay, you can take Limbo now. I don't want it anymore. Like, she also wanted to get rid of it. You know, she wanted to, to remove it. Um, but, you know, gave it to Maddie. And it seemed like, okay, Maddie's like turned in a leaf. This is an interesting development. You know, Krakoa, it's the, it's the era of new possibilities and of trying new things. And the problem with Dark Web is it is acknowledging that that happened. It is at least giving voice to it. Uh, but it is also doing the same things that Maddie has always done to the point that Dark Web number one, I mean, it is a straight up inferno nostalgia fest. We've got carriages coming alive and being this sort of cartoonish Looney Tunes violence with giant shark-like shark teeth. Um, if you haven't read 1989's Inferno, it's kind of the, the capstone in a lot of ways of the Chris Claremont era of X-Men. It's really good. It's a good event of that era. Uh, it is also like, apparently Zeb Wells is like, it's all he thinks about, <laughs> at least in comics. Uh, you know, his new Mutants run, which is quite good, heavily Inferno-driven. Hellions with Maddie, heavily Inferno-driven. And now here we are with Amazing Spider-Man and Ben Riley and Madeline Pryor, and we're heavily Inferno-driven. This one does not feel unique in disappointing ways. I, I mean, this was the big launch issue, right? And I think it's playing some cards a lot too close to the vest because I think, I think you actually need to reveal here what's different this time. What does Maddie actually want, you know? Is it just the revenge of the clones with a semi-brainwashed Venom? That is definitely going to send a bunch of fans, a bunch of short-sighted fans into an uproar. Flipping guarantee that, <laughs> okay? This book ends with Venom swinging off and talking about eating Spider-Man's brains, you know? So throwback to classic monster Venom um, as opposed to what Eddie Brock has been for the last, who knows how long, number of years. And, uh... Listen, it's not going to last, everybody. Calm down. <laughs> Calm. I don't know who you are that's getting upset, but I guarantee people are getting upset. Like, oh my gosh, they, they're bringing Venom back to that. They're not. They're just going to do it for like three issues in Dark Web. And then L. Ewing and Ron V are going to do whatever they're doing in Venom. Run I can never quite get into. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like this was, this was not, this did not hook me on what this event is going to be. Kind of a bummer, actually. Um, all the Ben clone stuff, it just feels like we've been there. All the Maddie clone stuff, it's like we've been here too. Like I've, I've been down, I've been to both these restaurants and I didn't like them that much either time. You know, I'm not coming back 
you know? So, all right, let me know if you have any thoughts, if you have any questions, any ideas there. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we're here at the end. We're here at the end of the day. Now, I should mention here, too, we do actually have an X-Men crossover also going on in the pages of Captain Marvel. Uh, the last couple issues, Captain Marvel 43 to 44, is, uh, what are they calling it, the Revenge of the Brood? So, I mean, these were, like, more or less X-Men comics, to a degree, written by Kelly Thompson. Uh, it's then going to spill into the actual Doug and X-Men run and kind of carry over as a crossover that way. Uh, so far, solid. You know, if you're if you're familiar with Carol and the X-Men's, you know, kind of the original Brood Saga, I think it's uncanny. I'm going to guess, like, 160 to 164. Maybe it's, maybe it's right before that, because maybe that's when... Professor X gets queen brooded. <laughs> it's right around there in Uncanny X-Men. Um, you know, it's uh, it's brood stuff. And I guess the interesting question, the most interesting question for sure, is uh, why are the brood lashing out like this? What, what's up with King Brew? Haven't seen King Brew doing anything in a while, right? Let's get some, get some answers, get some updates on that. That's what I'm here for with this arc for sure. All right. Banksy asks, what is Extreme X-Men? I think it says right on the tin the X-Men, but extreme. This is a Chris Claremont project. Um, the miniseries that is coming out currently, a first issue launched today, is a nostalgia project. It is not set in current continuity, much to Senor Claremont's chagrin, it seems. Uh, extreme Edgeman launched in 2001. The first issue is actually where we learn all about Destiny's Diaries. Uh, it then continued to be an X-Men comic that was happening while new X-Men was making X-Men good again. <laughs> and this is a callback to that. I don't know. It could be fun. It could be fine. I, I don't, I'm not the type of reader who is interested in any way, really, for these flashback series. You know, Claremont did a gamut thing. Like, I don't know. It could be awesome. Might be. I read Jam uh, DiMatteis's, um Ben Riley flashback. Really well done. You know, it is. But uh, I, I like new stuff, new ideas in these spaces. And it's kind of, I don't know. I just get weird vibes from Marvel like, on one hand, it's great. Like, get get these creators paid, right? They've done all this work for your franchises in the past. Like, keep giving them work, keep getting them paid. That's awesome. I love that. On the other hand, it's weird to me that they just keep siloing them in, like, an old folks' home. You know? Like, that doesn't feel quite right. Uh, but that's what Extreme X-Men is. Um, okay. We got another question. Uh, one last question. Talk about Darwin. I got, I got news for you, Ace. That's not a question. <laughs> As a command. Uh, Darwin. Okay, right. We didn't talk about X-Men. Uh, the, the conclusion of the Forge into the Vault arc. So, I mean, basically the long and short of it there was... Well, I mean, it was real disappointing. <laughs> like, man, those Vault issues were good in the Hickman run. You know, arguably the best of that entire run. And then we get the Duggan Super Team version, and it's like, oh, man. Oh, we had it good. We had it good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, basically the reveal here, fact-wise, is... There's two Lauras, okay? Laura never died in the vault. Uh, so we have old woman Laura still around. Love sink. The resurrected Wolverine, young woman Laura, she's on the X-Men. She's still around. And we also now have two Darwins because one was resurrected, but the other one is staying in the vault. He wants to stay and hang out in the vault. Uh, so that's what's going down with Darwin. It creates, I guess, what we had before Secret Wars where you had Logan and old man Logan running around in the same space. Actually, I guess you didn't really have that as much because Death of Wolverine happened right before Secret Wars. You kind of just had Old Man Logan until Wolverine came back. Um, but now we got an old woman Wolverine. 
and a Laura Wolverine. I don't know why you would do this, honestly. I don't know what why you would go this route. Um, the keeping Darwin in the vault that's interesting to me. You know, to have this mutant living in the vault, like I don't know, learning from them, scheming, maybe empathizing with their ways. I don't know, right? Like like that Darwin can come back and be interesting in a story that is some sort of confrontation or showdown between the vault and mutants. Uh, but, but the Wolverine stuff is just like, man, we have been down this road as well. I guess that's what I'm saying today is like, listen, you go down these roads too many times. You just can't, <laughs> you just can't get into them the same way, right? My knees hurt, man. I'm getting old. Like it's, I've seen this story. I don't want to do it again. Uh, Lucas asks, so have we seen Darwin since his resurrection in the Hickman vault issue? I don't think we have. I don't, I don't think we've seen Darwin anywhere. I, listen, I don't want to go into the whole like. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we've seen Darwin do anything. So listen, whatever sets up Darwin actually having a role in a story, I'm here for it. I am here for that. Okay, final call for questions. Let's hear it. JD asks, in Immortal X-Men, what did you think about the Moira's slowly losing power after each new batch? Do you think this is a way to bring back the classic version? Um, no. I, I saw it more as Gillen putting some limitations on Sinister's automatic reset button in a way that makes sense. You know, we know the original had 10 lifelines. It makes sense that the clones would also lose power. Like if he can just, if Sinister can just do this infinitely forever and ever, there kind of is no stopping him. And I think this way you put some limitations on it that at a minimum leads to a structurally interesting comic book right, where you have 10 shots at this, but I also think realistically what it does is it says, okay, yeah, Sinister's not, you know, he doesn't just have endless opportunities, right, he has to pull the trigger on some of these things, because otherwise he can just experiment forever, you know, so I, I see it more as that. Let's see, I'm seeing some people try to defend Dark Web, not working for me, <laughs> nice tries. Dave, who do you want to be on the X-Men team when they do another Marvel vote in 2023? Hmm, let's see. How about Rom V and Joshua Kassar? How about that? That's my X-Men team. Okay. Okay. Feels like we're here. Feels like we're here at the end of things. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, I will be back whenever the comics are good. I'm just going to pull up here. What do we got coming next week? Should we also expect good comics again? A week from now. I don't remember because we've got Christmas coming up, and obviously, you know, kind of, Publication calendars tend to get quiet, quieter at least, around that time. Let's see. We're going to have an Amazing Spider-Man issue of Dark Web. We're going to have Dark Web X-Men. We're going to have Legion of X number 8 with a big old Mother Righteous cover. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this feels like a stream week. We'll have to see. We'll have to see if anything jumps at me. Um... I did not read FF number two yet. I didn't read the new Finesse 4 number two. I definitely will be. I'm excited about this run. But no, I'm, it's probably not going to be a weekly thing for me. I'll probably just read the arc when it's, you know, once it's all up on Marvel Unlimited. Um, yeah. All right. All right. That does it. Yeah. Thanks for joining, everybody. I got, um, let's see, I've got the best comics in 2022. You can see the whole list over on Comic Herald right now. It's probably my favorite best com annual best comics list I've done since I've been running CBH. Um, I'm probably going to have a video up on that of like my top 10, I would guess. I'll do, but you can see I have 35 picks right now up on the website. Just go to Best Comics 2022 and, of course, find Comic Herald. 
and you'll see that whole list. My I've got a top 10 right now that is inclusive of both Sabretooth and I'm cheating by combining Immortal and X-Men Red. Those are in like the, the you know, five through 10 range. Okay. Um, I think my number, my number one DC book, I think is Catwoman Lonely City. Uh, but then everything else is, you know, more indie creator own type stuff. It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth by Zoe Thorogood is my number one favorite comic and graphic novel of the year. Flippin' incredible. Flippin' incredible graphic novel. Highly recommended. Uh, you can read that one for free on Hoopla if you got that. Check out Hoopla if you haven't before. Uh, I'm currently reading, doing a bunch of the best of 2022 stuff. I'm also binging Monster. I've got two volumes left, two perfect editions left of the uh, Urasawa's Monster. So I'm really excited to wrap that up. I'm the uh, contemporary 2022 graphic novel I'm reading right now is this biography of Putin. It's Putin's, what is it? Putin, Rise of a uh, Dictator by Daryl Cunningham. Man, what a, what a wild ride. What a wild ride. I had scary dreams last night after reading that one. That'll shake you up a bit. Um, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Okay, do a powerbomb. That's on the list. That is on the list. I actually need to read that one. I had a, a CBH writer add that one to the list. It's a Daniel Warren Johnson project. I love some good Daniel Warren Johnson. Um, Murder Falcon. One of my like top 100 comics of all time, I think. But yeah, I got to catch up on Do a Powerbomb. That one sounds really fun. I've got Ice Cream Man in my top three. As always, love Ice Cream Man. It's probably my favorite ongoing comic year after year after year. And uh, hey, anything about Lonely at the Center of the Earth? Just finished it. was floored. Yeah, Lucas. Yes, you were. Man, what a graphic novel. I mean, truly, the kind of comic... That made me, like halfway through, just like sit up and be like, oh man, I, this is why I love comics. Like, this is why I love reading this medium. And I, you know, I was doing that thing too, where like, all right, it's the end of the year, you know, I'm trying to catch up on some books, I'm reading a bunch of them, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, we're all doing the same thing. Nope. Zoe Thorogood's like, nope, here's something new. Here's something new and fresh, and oh, it's just so many ideas. Structurally, it's fascinating. I just the skill on display. Oh, check it out. Only at the center of the earth. Uh, Ducks by Kate Beaton. I did read that one as well. It's really good. Somebody else is going to include that on our list. Uh, it's not. I'm not going to list it because somebody else is writing about it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't be one of my top, top books. But yeah, it's clearly a really, really well done graphic novel. Uh, all right. Get in your favorites. Let me know what you're loving this year. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time. The comics are good. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the comics.